Good morning, Bridge. How are we doing, guys? You doing good as I am? I am so blessed it's embarrassing sometimes. It just, it just ain't fair, right? So, but that said, here's a question to start off with today. Have any of you ever felt guilty? Show of hands, come on. Have you ever felt guilty? Look around the room. Come on, hold your hands up. Look around the room. The people who aren't raising their hands are the sociopaths among us. Just be warned that that's who they are, okay? I mean, the truth of the matter is, guilt is, some people say, the number one emotion that human beings have to deal with. Can I get an amen in the house? I love it when I get universal amens. <laughs> it is also one of the most powerful forces, one of the most powerful emotions that we all have to deal with. I ran across a police blotter the other day. I don't know if you guys ever see this or not, but search for it online sometimes because that can be uh, hilarious, that can be shocking. But I ran across police blotter not too long ago, and, and it told a couple of stories that I thought were worth sharing. One was a suspect in Radnor, Pennsylvania. <laughs> they brought him in under suspicion of a crime, and they took a metal colander. You know, like a sieve you have in the kitchen? They took a metal, a metal colander, put it on his head, and ran two wires from it to a copy machine, and they put the word lying in the copy machine. And every time they thought he was lying, they'd hit print, and, the, and a piece of paper would shoot out say lying. He eventually confessed to the crime. <laughs> True story is what they tell me. San Diego, there was another one. Two men are on trial for armed robbery. There's an eyewitness on the stand, and the prosecuting attorney asked the eyewitness, did you see what happened? Yes, sir, I did. Did you see who did it? Yes, sir, I did. Uh, how many people were involved? There were two men involved. Are those two men in the courtroom right now? And both of the defendants raised their hands. <laughs> now, we laugh at those guys, but the truth of the matter is it is amazing uh, how almost anybody can get us to do almost anything if they use guilt. Don't look at me like you don't know what I'm talking about. Husbands do it to wives and vice versa. Parents do it to children. Preachers do it to congregations. It, it's, it's one of the most powerful weapons we have. I'm not saying it's healthy, but it is a weapon that is often used because we all feel guilty. God bless you. Thanks for coming to church today. I'm so glad you visited the bridge, is there more to it than that? Even King David, who was, according to Scripture, a man after God's own heart, he even said in Psalm 38, 4, my guilt has overwhelmed me like a burden too heavy to bear. There's good news. I didn't come to give you bad news. I came to give you good news. And that is that we're in a series called Amazing Grace. And we're learning throughout this series what this whole idea of grace is really all about. If you've been in church circles at all, if you've been around Christians very much at all, you've heard that word, but quite often even people that have been in church all their lives don't understand what grace ultimately is all about. So last Sunday on Easter Sunday, we're still celebrating 49 people gave their lives to Jesus Christ. Can we give it up one more time? Amen. And if, you, and, if you're, and if you're one of them, if you're sitting here right now or you're watching online and you're one of those 49 people that gave your lives to Christ, then your next step is to get water baptized and to become a part of a spiritual family. And, and if this isn't it, God bless you, find one that's God-honoring, Jesus-centered Bible teaching and get into one because it's a huge part of your own journey with Christ. We celebrate that. But today, I want us to ask and answer the question, if God is so gracious, then why do I feel so guilty? Even after I give my life to Christ, why do I deal 
with that stuff. If you want to follow along with the message today, you can go to the Bridge app and, and go over to notes and open them up. You can save it to your journal and take your own notes, but you can follow along with all of the scriptures and all the points that I'm going to make in message time today. I hope you will. Let's follow along together. I mean, the bottom line is, is we, we all know how yucky it feels to suddenly hope nobody finds out. Don't look at me like you don't know what I'm talking about. Is that why God created guilt? To make us feel bad? I mean, it, it, is that God's way of punishing us for doing something that isn't right? Is God saying, okay, you messed up, now take that, zap? I mean, is that who God is? If you, if you think the answer is to yes those questions, you don't understand grace yet. I told you last week that our God is a gracious God, and that means that he always has gracious purpose. Not that he has grace, he is grace. So he always has a gracious purpose in everything that he does, and that includes guilt. When you begin to understand that, when you begin to realize that about who God is, you begin to understand that guilt is God's way of warning us that something's broken needs to get fixed. That's what it's all about. It's something's broken, needs to get fixed. If you think that, that guilt is about God's punishment, it, it would be like getting mad at the temperature gauge in your car because it's reading hot right now. Does that make sense? Well, it does to me in cars because uh, I'm driving along and, and Kim is my temperature gauge. I don't know if you guys are married to ladies like that or not. She'll be in second service. I will not use this illustration in second service. Yes, I will. I'll get in trouble, but I will. And here's, what, here's how it goes. You tell me, guys, if it's true for you or ladies. Uh, Kim will say, did you hear that? And I'll go, no, I didn't hear anything. She'll say, yes, you, no, listen. Listen for a minute. We'll get quiet. There, there, that. I said, I don't hear anything. Did I hear something? Maybe. <laughs> Why don't I want to acknowledge that I heard it? Because here's what's going to happen. I'm going to pull the car off the side of the road. I'm going to get out. I'm going to raise the hood, and I'm going to look at it and go, Yep, that's a motor. <laughs> and I'm going to mess around in there for a minute and get dirty, and I don't have a clue what I'm doing. I'm probably going to make it wassa instead of better, and then I'm going to close the hood and say, Kim, I don't know. I just call Gary Claremont. He can fix it. And then I'm going to spend money. I don't want to have to spend, so it's easier just to pretend I didn't hear it. <laughs> Are you getting this? Well, I... You know, Gary will tell you, any mechanic will tell you, when you hear a noise, and you really do hear a noise, you can't just ignore it and hope it goes away. It's a pay me now or pay me later kind of scenario. If there's something broke, you've got to fix it. The temperature gauge reads hot. You better get some coolant in the machine or it's going to get worse. So today, I want us to learn how to handle guilt God's way, understanding who God is, that God is this gracious God that always has a purpose behind everything he does, and that purpose is always to help us have life, to bless us, to move us forward, to become more like his son, and I want, so I want us to learn how to handle guilt God's way, but before we get into how to, I, I think it's important that we understand, maybe you do, maybe you don't, but it's important that we understand that there are two main kinds of guilt. And you have to first sort out which kind of guilt you're experiencing so you'll know how to deal with it. Once you understand what kind of guilt it is, then that tells you what to do to deal with it. So let's get into it, okay? There are two kinds of guilt that I'm aware of, two main kinds. First is healthy, and the Bible calls it conviction. 
Conviction is the kind of guilt that's kind of like the temperature gauge in your car. You know something's wrong. You know you did it or you didn't do it. And you know that God knows. And God knows that you know. And you know you got to do something about it. Uh, that's conviction. And the temperature gauge is not going down until you fix whatever the problem is that caused it to go up. Make sense? That's conviction. The other kind of guilt is an unhealthy kind of guilt. And the Bible calls it condemnation. That's the kind where the, the temperature gauge is reading normal, but you live in fear of it reading hot. So you're driving down the road staring at the gauge, and it reads normal, but you are so convinced that it's going to move toward hot that you're staring at the gauge the whole time saying, it moved, look, I'm telling you, it moved, I saw it move. What do I do if it moves? And you're so busy staring at the gauge that you run into a tree. That's condemnation. You feel the difference between those two things? The simple truth is there are people that live with condemnation. There are people that have committed their lives to Jesus Christ and are still living with condemnation guilt. They're still living under the shadow of condemnation. And I need you to understand that condemnation comes from lots of different sources. Satan's at the heart of all of them, but many people live under condemnation thinking because of somebody else's sin. You ever seen that happen? Children that come out of a home that's, that's in turmoil all the time, tense all the time, breaks down all the time, and the children blame themselves. They fall under condemnation guilt. They didn't do it, but they believe they did. Battered spouses, I've seen this happen so many times. Well, he didn't mean it. I made him mad. And they take on the guilt of something that they didn't even do. And yet they live under the shadow of that condemnation. Other people feel condemned because they can't get past their past. You know, I've asked God to forgive me a thousand times. I just don't, I just can't get past it. Well, that's condemnation. You've got to get out from under that. Other people carry this unhealthy kind of guilt over what people might say. Well, you know, if I do this, then so-and-so might not like it. Or, or, or some people might say this, or some people might say that. And we kind of live under this guilty kind of thing where we have liberty in Christ and liberty in the Scripture. We live so afraid of what somebody's going to say. We never really enjoy the liberties that we have, like the little girl who's learning the facts of life. And she's so shocked by what her mom is saying. She says, Mommy, does, does God know about this? <laughs> There's this kind of fear that somebody's going to say something. In fact, I've seen committed Christians live this way their entire Christian experience. They become commit, uh, Christians based on God's grace, but in, in time they start thinking, well, I have to do more than that. That's not enough. I have to do something. I have to work harder, which is exactly what happened to the Christians in the church at Galatia, the book of Galatians that Paul wrote. Galatians 3.3, 3, are you so foolish after beginning by means of the Spirit, you're now trying to finish by means of the flesh? Paul said, what, what in the world's going on that you started, you got saved by grace, you're trying to stay saved by works. Hear me, guys. The Bible is clear. I want you to read this verse out loud. I want you to hear yourself reading it. Romans chapter 8, verse 1. Is it on the screens yet? Here we go. One, two, three. There is now no, how much? No condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. One more time. There is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So let me be clear. Conviction is healthy. It comes from Christ. 
Condemnation is unhealthy and it never comes from God. Never comes from God. So if you're walking under the mantle of condemnation thinking, it ain't from God. Say it with me. It ain't from, one more time, it ain't from God. So how do you know the difference? I mean, I, in general terms, I just told you the difference, but I actually created a little test to help people to understand. How do you, how do you know if the guilt that you're experiencing is God speaking to you or it's a tell of the nun from Catholic school days? Or, or it's Brother Bob from the First Church of Legalism that's whispering in your ear? I mean, how do you know if it's God that's speaking to you, uh, and I've just got a little three-part test that'll help you, and I really hope you'll write this down. <laughs> Again, go to the app, get the test, write it down, and in some notes, there's a notepad in the back of your chair, you can write these down, but this is huge, guys. I, I put it on Facebook yesterday. When I learned these truths several years ago, it changed my life, and I don't say that very often. I don't throw that phrase around a lot, but this is life-changing kind of stuff when you finally get it and internalize it and get it into your spirit and into your life and how you do life and how you deal with guilt. There are three things. Can we bring the chart up? We got it already. Conviction is specific. It attacks the issue and it lays a path. Whereas condemnation is vague. It attacks the person and it creates an obstacle to life. Let's break those down. Let's make sure we understand them and then we're going to get into what do we do when we feel guilty, okay? So the first question you ask yourself when you find yourself feeling guilty, is it vague or is it specific? Does that make sense? Remember, godly guilt has a purpose. It's a warning that something's broke. So if it's from God, then it's going to be conviction, and it's going to be specific enough that you can, you can actually fix it. Does that make sense? And can I tell you that for me, when I'm under conviction, not only do I recognize that it's specific enough, I know what I did or didn't do, but I can't get away from it to save my life. I don't know about you guys, but uh, I will turn on the TV and Joyce Meyer is talking about that subject. I'm going, how in the world did she know when she recorded that three years ago? How did she know I would be watching right now? Or, or I'd be you know, surfing through Facebook and one of you will have posted a Stephen Furtick sermon clip. And I'll go, come on, Furtick, what? How, you, you don't live in my living room. How in the world, what do you know what's going on here? Or for you, you come to the bridge and you go away saying, does Pastor Jim have a microphone in my living room? How in the world does he know what's going on? I know what's going on in me. That's how I know what's going on in you because we're in this together. When it's conviction, you know what you did or didn't do, and you can't get away from it to save your life. But when it's condemnation, it's this vague, unclear kind of thing. I hear people in condemnation thinking say things like, uh, well, I just have this overwhelming feeling that I've done something, or I should have done something. I don't know what it is. I just got this feeling. I, I can't put my finger on it. I don't know why I feel the way I do. I just do feel that way. Guys, if it's vague instead of specific, do you want to say it or do you want me to? It ain't from God. Say it with me. It ain't from God. Second test, does it attack the issue or does it attack the person? Let's understand that one. Put it in legal terms. If you commit a crime, what's going to happen? Theoretically, hopefully, you're going to get arrested 
You're going to stand trial. They're going to present the evidence, and the jury's going to convict you of a crime. And once you've been convicted of the crime, the jury is going to say, you have been convicted of the crime of whatever, burglary. The judge will not say, you have been convicted of being a burglar. Hear the difference. You've been convicted of the crime of burglary, not you have been convicted of being a burglar. Being convicted doesn't mean that you're going to do it for the rest of your life because that's who you are. It means you did it, you got to deal with it. That's all it means. You got to face it, you got to learn from it, you got to stop doing it. That's what conviction's about. So when it's conviction, it's specific and it attacks the issue. When it's condemnation, it's vague and it attacks the person. And when it's condemnation thinking, you find yourself saying, you know, even when you do something good, you find yourself going, well, I, you think that's enough? You could do better than that. Come on. That, you call that good work? Okay, I've done a few good things, but how much more do you need to do? Come on, you can do better than that. In other words, the harder you try, the guilter you feel. And hear me, guys, if you catch yourself thinking that way, It ain't from God. Come on. It ain't from God. Because conviction comes from God. It is specific and attacks the issue. Condemnation ain't from God. It's vague and it attacks you and your person. And Jesus Christ would never die for you and then turn around and attack you. Why, why would he do that? That's not who he is. Remember, have I mentioned yet in this series that our God just doesn't have grace? He is grace. So what's the third test? Is it specific or vague? Is it attacking the issue or the person? What's the third test? Does it lay a path to life or does it create an obstacle to life? Jesus said it clearly, I came to give you life and that life in its all its fullness. Satan has come to steal that, to kill that, to destroy that. Remember the wages of sin is death and we've all sinned. And so we're all going to have to deal with guilt, uh, but if that guilt points you to the life that Jesus has for you, then it might just be from God. But hear me, if it's from him, then there's going to be a way to move past it. You, you can repent, you can apologize, you can make amends, you can turn it into a ministry to help others that are dealing with the stuff that you've been dealing with. There's a way to get past it. We mentioned in the video announcements today our Celebrate Recovery ministry that meets at the Bridge to Hope Center over in, in Rosewood, and, and what an incredible ministry that is. Had the privilege to go and speak to that group just uh, last month and, and just a wonderful group of people that are, that are getting help, that are getting hope, that are helping each other to get help and hope. And if you're trying to recover from anything, a hurt, a habit, a hang up, I spoke about grief and the grief that Kim and I are wrestling through and processing through. And I talked to several people who are dealing with grief and are recovering from grief. Take advantage of that. Go, be a part of that group. Because if you're if you're wrestling with guilt and it's from God, there's a solution for it. There's a way past it. If it builds a wall that says, that's it, that's who you are, you're never going to get past this thing, you're always going to live there, it ain't from God. If it discourages life, Satan came to steal, kill, and destroy you. Are you getting this? Condemnation binds you to past failures 
conviction releases God's power to set you free. That's it. You may want to tweet that one. Condemnation binds you to past failures. Conviction handles God's way, sets you free from the guilt that's holding you down. And if it's condemnation, it ain't from God. I could go on, but i got to move on. The question then is, what do you do? When we feel guilty, and we've all established that except for the sociopaths among us, we all do from time to time. Maybe we live there. I mean, you feel guilty uh, because uh, you're not spending enough time with your kids, and then you get to work and realize you're behind, and you feel guilty because you're not spending enough time at work. Am I right? You feel guilty because you're not giving your kids enough stuff, and then you meet a family that's, that's really poor, and you feel guilty because you give your kids so much stuff. Right? I mean, it's what we do. This guilt is a reality for all of us, so what do we do with it? Well, first you've got to decide, is it conviction or if it's condemnation? And we go to the Scriptures in both cases. If it is condemnation, here's your verse. You ready? If you recognize condemnation's operating, here's your verse. 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 4 and 5. Let's read it together out loud. I want you to hear yourself reading the Word of God. One, two, three, go. The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. What's a stronghold? Anybody know what a stronghold is? It's a fortified area. It's any area that's been fortified against what God is trying to do in your life. And every one of us, if we let Satan do it, will we'll, uh, we'll build strongholds in our heart and say, Jesus, I'll trust you with this and this and this, but I'm going to hold on to this one myself. And as soon as you do that, you just created a stronghold. Well, how do you demolish strongholds? What does the Bible say? We demolish arguments and every pretension, including condemnation thinking, that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. What's the knowledge of God? It's the truth of God's Word. If this is in opposition to what the Bible says, then we demolish those arguments. How? We take captive every thought and make it obedient to Christ. Wait a minute. What are you saying? I'm saying every time that condemnation thought comes in your mind, you're saying, whoa, wait a minute. No, I'm going to throw the Word of God at it. There is no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus, and I've given my life to Jesus. I will not hold on to that thought. And if it comes back, what do you do then? You do it again. You just throw the truth at it. You just throw the truth at it. Jesus came to give me life, not to destroy my joy. Satan has no authority in my life, and I'm not giving him any because I've given my life to Jesus Christ, and he is Lord of my life. He's in charge of my life, not the devil, and I will not give him any quarter in my life. If it's condemnation thinking, you take those thoughts captive. Well, Jim, these things popped in my head. I got it. You can't stop birds from flying over your head, but you can stop them from making a nest in your hair. You say, forget it. I'm not going to let that stay. And if it comes back, forget it. I'm not going to let that stay. You come against it with the truth of God's Word. Now, let's, let's dig into conviction a little deeper, okay? Because there's a verse for that, but I think it's important that we break that one down. The verse for conviction, if you've discovered, and, and what's conviction? It's you got your test? It's specific enough. You know exactly what it is and what has to be done. It's 
It attacks the issue, not you. Not as, doesn't attack you as a person. And there's a path to life. There is a way out of this thing. There's something I can do if I will do it that will set me free. So if it's conviction, here's your verse. 1 John chapter 1, verses 8 and 9. Let's read it together out loud. Here we go. If we say that we have not sinned, we are fooling ourselves, and the truth isn't in our hearts. But if we confess our sins to God, He can always be trusted to forgive us and take our sins away. Do you see the three natural parts of that passage, how it breaks down naturally in three categories, three parts? Let's break that down, okay? Part number one is you've got to admit your sin. If we say we have not sinned, we're fooling ourselves, and the truth isn't in our hearts. Now, here's the problem. We live in a society that uh, tells us don't ever admit to anything. If you admit to anything, people will use it against you. You, you ever heard that one? You ever said that one? Don't, don't answer that. The result of that kind of world, that kind of society, is I, three, I see three types of people in the world, and I see them in scriptures too. There's nothing new under the sun. Jesus said, there are accusers, dates back to the beginning of humanity, Adam was the first uh, accuser, he messed up, took it like a man and blamed his wife, that went right over your heads, didn't it? And then he blamed God, he says, not my fault, it's the woman you gave me. He blamed his wife and he blamed his God, Right? And so you can take that approach, you can accuse other people if you want to, but you will never move the temperature gauge if that's the way you approach conviction. As tempting as it might be to say, it's not my fault, they did it, you will never get past it. You will live in guilt. The second group that I've seen are what I call excusers. And there's plenty of those in the Bible, too. Our culture is full of them. I can't help it. I am a victim of, you fill in the blank. We've become a society of victims that everything that's going wrong in my life is somebody else's fault. It's society's fault. It's the other race's fault. It's the other political party's fault. It's the preacher's fault. It's the, it, we, just, we have an excuse uh, for everything, and, and it's, you know, I didn't get the breaks that other people got. Now, please hear me. Please hear my heart. Um, it may well be that somebody has tried to victimize you. It may well be that you've been victimized by somebody, and I, the last thing that I would ever do is, is minimize your pain. Please hear um, it breaks my heart to think that you might think that of me. I would never minimize your pain, but all I'm saying is that in every scenario, we've got to stop and ask ourselves the question, is there anything I could have done, anything I should do now? And if there's an answer to that that is specific, attacks the issue, and is a path to life, you have to do that or you never get out from under the guilt. Is this making sense? You can accuse other people, and there may be some validity to it. You can excuse it because of, and there may be some validity to it, but at the end of the day, if you really want to get out from under these guilting feelings, you've got to stop and ask the question, God, what are you specifically saying to me about me? 
and about what I did or didn't do. And then what, most importantly, what is the path to life? The first step in this journey then is not to be an accuser or to be an excuser. It's to be a chooser. And we talked about this last week. I'm, ta- I'm challenging you to choose grace. Overcomers choose grace. People that break free from guilt choose grace. God's free gift received by faith. Were you here last week? Did you pick up on this? God's free gift received by grace, absolutely essential, comes through Christ, enhances all of life forever. So the Pastor Jim paraphrase of 1 John 1, 9 and 8 and 9 is if we say that we've not sinned, in other words, if we accuse or excuse, we're fooling who? Ourselves. And the truth isn't in our hearts. But if we choose to confess our sins to God, He can always be trusted to forgive us and take our sins away. So the first step to being free from conviction is what? Admit your sin. They say, man, I blew it. I I blew it. Hear me, guys. People of integrity mess up, but they own up. That's what they do. They go, oh, man, I blew that one. I don't want to do that again. How do I get past that point? (laughs) That then moves you into the second part of this getting free from conviction getting out from under this convicting guilt that you're feeling, and that is confess your sin. Now, that may sound the same to you, admit your sin, confess your sin, but, but, but it's different. It's significantly different. The word confess in that passage is actually a, a, a compound Greek word, homo logeo. Homo meaning the same, logeo meaning the words, the word of God. And so to confess something literally means to say the same thing about it that God's Word says about it. No more excuses, no more accusations. This is what the Bible says, and therefore I'm going to say what God says. Now let's get down to the heart of the matter, okay? What is sin? If we're going to admit our sin and confess our sin, we've got to know what sin is, right? And I know for some of you, you immediately start a litany of pet sins, Things that somebody along the way has told you that you, you, you can do this, you can't do that, and Christianity is all about do's and don'ts and all that kind of stuff. And, and, and then, we, of course, we have sins that we think are okay and sins that we don't think are okay. You know, we can, uh, we, we can go out to lunch today and eat enough for three people, but we better not drink some booze because, you know, it's just, it's just wrong. It's just wrong to do that. You know, it's just, it's just we can come up with a whole list of things that are our pet sins. But you, you understand what the word sin actually means? The easiest way to understand it is to look at the, the, the middle letter in the word. What's the middle letter in the word? It's I. That's what sin is. Sin is saying, I will do things my way. Sin is saying, I will call you if I need you, God, but I'm in charge. Sin is about me doing what I want, being the captain of my own fate, which is why there are some really good people out there, we call them straight arrows, that live moral lives, but they still walk around buried in guilt all the time. 
Because at the end of the day, sin isn't about what you did or didn't do as much as it is about the attitude of your heart that says, who's really in charge? Who's really in control here? You can tell me you're the captain of your own fate if you want to, but you get in the car this afternoon and get in an argument about where we're going to go to lunch today, and you can't figure it out. Don't tell me you're the captain of your own fate. Give me a break. And the big problem is, if you want to turn the dial on the temperature gauge back to normal, you're going to need him because you can't do it on your own. See, this doesn't happen naturally. It only happens supernaturally. So you've got to admit your sin, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. I will do what I want to do. Sometimes I don't even realize I'm doing that until I look back and go, wow, I guess I was being really self-centered there, wasn't I? And then you confess your sin to God. Now, there's two parts to confessing. First of all, you tell God. Psalm 69.5 from the North Carolina version. <laughs> That's actually a new century, but I prefer North Carolina. <laughs> there ain't enough y'alls in it for it to be North Carolina, right? God, you know what I have done wrong. I cannot hide my guilt from you. God, I left you out of my choices. God, I recognize that I've made this about me, not about you. I've made it about my will, not your will, and I've messed up my life in the process. I've messed up the lives of other people. You know it, and I know it. I'm done making excuses. I'm done accusing other people. I am choosing grace. That's the first part of confessing is you tell God, I'm done with this thing, and I'm going to do what you say. I'm gonna, you're in charge now, and your word is my owner's manual. The second part of confessing is you tell a friend. You tell a trusted friend. James 5, 16, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so God can heal you. When a believing person prays, what happens? Great things. One of them is that you finally start to get out from under the, the blanket of conviction because you've dealt with the thing you're convicted about. Make sense? Say it this way. I've had people come to me as a pastor over the years and I've had them say, Pastor, I, 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 I want to tell you something, and, and I've never said this out loud in my entire life. And my first reaction is, oh, Lord, what's this going to be? My second reaction is, yes, healing is about to start because they're about to expose it to the light. This, this is going to be good, right? And so, I, I, you know, I, I, they'll say something like, I prayed and prayed and prayed, and, and, and I, just, I still don't feel forgiven. Uh, but here's the issue. And I know release is about to come. So here's what we're going to do this morning. The rest of the time, <coughs> we've got a few minutes left. <clears throat> I want everybody to line up on this side. We're gonna, uh, Pastor Jerry's going to bring out a microphone. And one by one, I want you to come by and I want you to confess. What? With three heart attacks over here in this section already. You know, last week, Sheriff Pierce agreed to handcuff me in that illustration. We couldn't find a cop that would come up on stage to do the handcuffing because they're scared to death to stand in front of 1,000 people plus three or 400 online. They will, they will take down our murderer on the street, but they won't come up on this stage, buddy. Forget about it, right? Scary stuff, right? So I'll tell you what let's do. Uh, let's just... Uh, uh, we'll get the office ladies lined up, and you guys just make an appointment with me, and, 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 and I'll give you 30 minutes apiece, and we'll just start lining it up, and, and then you start coming to me, and you confess it to God, and then you confess it to me, okay?
Will that work? Let's do the math. Uh, 3,000 people in the church right now, uh, 30 minutes each. If I, get, if I carve out one day a week for that, um, uh, then it'll take 187 and a half weeks to see you all. So some of you I will see this week. Some of you I'll see in three and a half years. <laughs> Just go ahead and live under the cloud of your guilt until then, and then we'll be fine, okay? There's got to be a better way. Is there a better way? Wait, wait, wait a minute. What, what did the verse say? Confess your sins to the pastor? Confess your sins to the priest? What? Confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that God can heal you. What, what if we could do that? What, what if we had smaller groups than this one that actually met during the week and what if there was an agreement among the people that met in those smaller groups that what's said in group stays in group hello so that enough trust gets developed that you finally work up the courage to say here's what I've been struggling with and then when you finally say you know here's what I've been struggling with you find out that there are three other people in the group that have been struggling with something very similar to it that we're all in this together that, that Satan's convinced you you're the only one when in fact you're not. And what if we called them bridge groups? And what if we had enough for everybody that calls the bridge church home a place to be in one of those kinds of groups? And then what if we actually prayed for each other to be healed? I got a feeling celebrating 49 people getting saved last week would be nothing compared to the difference we could make in this community, in this world, if we'd take that seriously. So I need to tell you what the problem is. I just need to be honest with you guys. Some of you are guests today. I'm going to let you in on some inside scoop here. Some many of you are owners today. I need you to understand what the problem is. We have more people interested in being in a group like that than we have people who are willing to lead a group like that. We have two to five people a week saying, I'd like to be in a group. And Pastor Andy's having to say, we're working on it, but we don't have a group for you yet. That's the reality. So May 16th, save the date. There'll be an opportunity to sign up for it soon. May 16th on Wednesday night, we're going to start teaching a series right here on what it means to be a leader in a group. And if you've ever thought about being a leader, if it's ever crossed your mind once, or you just want to know more about how groups work, then go ahead and plan to be here on Wednesday night, May 16th at 7 o'clock. We won't keep you more than an hour, hour and 15 minutes, uh, kind of like a Sunday morning service, but we're going to dig into this thing, and we're going to find a way, in Jesus' name, we're going to find enough a way to have enough small groups that everybody that's willing to get into a room and build trust and start saying, I want to be healed from this thing, that we can pray the effectual fervent prayers that will bring healing in this house and across this community. Is anybody with me on that one? Are you willing to tell us to do that thing? Let's go after that thing. You'll hear a lot more about that in the next couple of weeks, but go ahead and write it down. Wednesday, May 16th, let's pack this room out. I'm serious. Let's pack this room out. All of our locations are coming together. We're all doing this together, and we're going to create that environment. Why? Because the first step to turning off the guilt alarm 
is to, con- is to admit your sin, and the second step is to confess it to God and to a trusted Christian friend. But Jim, I, I, I've done that, and I still feel guilty. Yeah, I, I'm in a group. I, I, I've shared that, and we've prayed for each other, and so I've admitted it, and I've confessed it, and I still feel guilty. Well, there's, we're not finished with 1 John 1, 9 yet. There's another part. What's the third part? Is you've got to trust God's grace. What's the last part of 1 John 1, 9? He can, what does it say? Always, what does always mean in Scripture? It means always. He can always be trusted to forgive us and to take our sins away. That thing that you're convicted over can be gone, therefore the conviction goes with it, therefore you are free. That's what we're after. That's what we're after. Remember I told you last week God doesn't just extend grace, He is grace. So i got to wind this up, but hear me, guys, before I do, you can admit your sin and you can even confess your sin to God and to a group of people that you trust, but if that's as far as you go, you will still go on living in the fear that you haven't done enough until you finally decide to trust God's grace, to trust that He always forgives and takes our sins away, that he is in fact a gracious forgiver, more anxious to forgive you than you are to receive his forgiveness. But you've got to believe that in order for it to be true. That's why the writer of Hebrews said in Hebrews 10, let us come near to God and with sincere heart and sure faith because we are finally good enough. What? Because we've been made free from a guilty conscience. That's what grace is all about. Learning to walk in grace and live in grace and understand how available God's grace is us uh, is to us. And, and then because we embrace grace, we then have the privilege to get near the holy God of the universe. Not because you're finally good enough, because you aren't, and I'm not. But because of what Jesus did for you so long ago. And I know as soon as we start talking like that, you know, it's, it's all about grace living. There are some people who immediately get nervous. Oh, oh, Pastor Jim, is, he's our new pastor, and, and he's saying that it's okay to sin, and, and you know, it doesn't matter because grace will cover it. And I, I never said that. Never did I say that because the wages of sin is death. There's always a consequence to sin. And the last thing I want you to do, the last thing God wants you to do is pay the price for your own sinfulness. Nobody's suggesting it's okay to sin. I'm just saying that when you do, because it's not a question of if, it's a question of when, trust grace. Trust that He is the God of the second chance, the 90-second chance, the 190-second chance, if that's what you need. And when you finally get to that place, you, you, you finally begin to feel free and then you start keeping short accounts with God. You know what I mean by that? As soon as you mess up, as soon as you do something, as soon as you fail to do something, you just say, oh boy, I blew that one, Lord. Uh, I'm going to admit that one. I'm going to find somebody to confess to. I'm going to talk to somebody, and I'm just going to, Lord, I need you to forgive me. And so you breathe in grace and breathe out freedom. That's what you do. i got to close, but I remember, uh, and, and I, I'll just share this little story with you in, in wrapping up. Because I think it illustrates far too many people 
living in the Christian life. I remember when I was in the fifth grade, I, I was born in, in uh, Fort Bragg, grew up in Bladenboro, North Carolina, a little town, southeast part of the state. But my dad was from uh, Canada and, and ultimately Michigan. And so as a young kid, fifth grade, we moved to Detroit, and I lived in Detroit for three or four years. And when I first got there, uh, having grown up in North Carolina, I never learned to ice skate. But you can't hang out with other fifth graders in Detroit, Michigan, if you don't ice skate, because that's what they do is they ice skate, you know, that's what they do. And so I went to the skating rink one night with the church group, and, uh, and the kids started teasing me. They started telling me when they realized I didn't know what I was doing, they started telling me, you know, those skates are really sharp. Do you see how sharp those things are? I, you know, last time we went out like this, somebody fell down, and when they did, the skates ran across their hand, and it cut the end of all four of their fingers off, and, and so don't fall. Just don't fall. I'm just, we're just, we care enough about you that we want to make sure that you're okay, so don't fall. And I can honestly tell you, the first time I ever went ice skating, I did not fall once because I never let go of the rail. <laughs> I held on to that rail till my arms hurt, my knuckles hurt, my biceps were sore the next day. I was holding on all the way because I am not going to fall. I am not going to cut my fingers off, Okay. What on earth does that story have to do with this subject? Some of you are trying to live out your Christian life holding on to the rail. And you've never really experienced what it's like to skate and have the wind blow in your hair. You've never experienced what it's like to say, I'm not afraid. Because if I mess up, I'm going to own up. I'm going to admit it. I'm going to confess it. God's going to forgive me. I'm going to learn from the experience. I don't have to live in fear of somebody finding out what I did. Because I'll just say, oh, man, did I do that? I'm sorry. I blew that one. Whew. <sighs> I mean, i got to tell you guys, there, there is a freedom in living when the skeletons that have been in your closet are finally exposed and buried once and for all. There's a freedom in living in that. And again, I'm not saying it's okay to get some more. I'm just saying learn to embrace grace. Let his grace define how you live. But Jim, you don't, you don't understand, you know, the abusive part of my life. No, I don't, but Jesus does. You, you understand the drugs I've used or the booze that I've consumed. No, I don't, but Jesus does. You, you don't know the lies that I've told or the problems or the trouble that I've caused. No, I don't, but Jesus does. You, you, you don't know how I've manipulated people to get my way over the years. No, I don't, but Jesus does. You can trust him always to forgive Oh, it can't be that easy. Oh, it's not easy. Nobody said it was easy. Jesus paid with his very life to make that possible. That's what Easter is all about. Jesus gave his life on Calvary. He paid the price for your sin. The wages of sin is death, and he paid it. Well, I didn't ask him to die for me. I know. I got it, but he did. So the only question is, will one person die for your sins or will two? You don't have to, but you do have to embrace grace. So let's make David's prayer our commitment this morning, and we'll wrap.
okay? Psalm 32.5, I like the way the Living Bible paraphrases it. I want you to read it out loud with me. I want you to read it as though it is your prayer leaving this house today. Here we go, one, two, three. I finally admitted all my sins to you and stopped trying to hide them. I said to myself, I will confess them to the Lord, and you forgave me, and all my guilt is gone. Can we pray that prayer together this morning? Father, thank you for being a gracious God. Thank you that you have provided a remedy for us If Satan manages somehow to put condemnation thoughts in our heads, you've given us a methodology for taking those thoughts captive and making them obedient to you and to your word, the scriptures. Say, that's not true, and I will not hold on to it in my mind. But if it's conviction from you, you've given us a remedy for that too. So show us, Lord, which is the source of the guilt that we carry. And if it's conviction, give me the courage to admit my part, to confess it to you and to a trusted Christian friend who will pray with me and for me, and then help me to trust grace. In Jesus' name, Father, you know who's praying across this room and across the internet. I pray simply that you would speak life to us today. Help us to remember that you are a gracious God. In Jesus' name, amen. If you prayed that prayer this morning for the first time, I'd love for you to tell me, or maybe the first time in a very long time, and you feel like you're coming back to the Lord having been away for a season, I want you to let me know. You can write it on a Connect card and check a box. You can text New Life to 55498, but you can come to the altar and pray with some of the altar team that's here this morning. They'd be thrilled to pray with you today, but let us know. Because a big part of this journey, Lord, is with the Lord is to, to go together in it. So stand with me, would you? As we close this service, let's go believing that phrase, all my guilt is gone. Father, thank you for the, the answers to the question of guilt. Now help us by your grace to appropriate those answers in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you guys. Thanks for coming. We'll see you next Sunday.